Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your life or at least move you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. We don't have a $25,000 soundproof Hollywood studio. We didn't add an addition to the house. Uh, There isn't even a house here. Uh, So today I come to you. I'm sitting in the living room of my sumptuous apartment here in Las Vegas, known to some, at least me, as the hottest city in America. And I'm on my purple couch sitting at my coffee table with the shelf that lifts up so it's like a desk got my laptop in front of me i have my two office supervisors one on each side so we are going to dive in and we're going to continue the theme that i'm touching on right now the whole thing about wealth having a wealth mindset and also this thing called a spending mindset also we might get into how to take every friday off so There are a number of things we're going to cover here. It's going to be kind of a wide-ranging interview. So what I basically want to do is I want to work with you to create a picture of wealth. That's right, a picture of wealth. And who better than to help us paint that portrait than the host of the Picture of Wealth podcast? His name is Dustin Service. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. He is is he likes to say one of or probably the greatest dad in the world. He's very active with his two sons, and he built a life where he never has to work on a Friday ever. I'm liking this so far. He also has built a wildly successful business in the wealth and lifestyle design space. He's a certified financial planner, chartered life underwriter, chartered investment manager, and certified health specialist. His company, Service Wealth Management, has received the Business Excellent Award Micro Business of the Year 2019 and runner-up in 2018. In addition to his own podcast, you may have at some point seen him on media like The Daily Courier, Kelowna Capital News, Global News Canada, New Media Group, or excuse me, now Media Group, and several others. Back before he showed up on our doorstep, going to be on the Business Creators Radio Show, I'd already heard of the guy. He's pretty well known for what he does. And with that, Dustin Service, come on in. The weather's fine. Yeah, Adam, thanks a lot. I'm uh, I'm definitely not in warm Vegas. Uh, I'm in the Shushwap, which is about four or five hours from Vancouver, where it is uh, it is below zero in Celsius. So thanks for that oh, warm blanket it. you sent. Uh, you 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 got it. Uh, and, and the you know the it's electric, so you plug it in and make <laughs> sure you got that part. So. Uh, just in terms of your bullet point accomplishments, I think there's something to unpack there. And what we typically do here at this show is before we dive into the topic, and as I said, this will probably be a wide-ranging interview, 
What I want to, we like to do first is go behind the official bio. So impressive, by the way. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. And what we want to do is have you tell us in your own words a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your brilliance and your passion. So take it away. Well, thanks, Adam. Uh, so yeah, originally, uh, you know, I grew up with uh, with a father who worked a ton, very hard worker, and uh, you know, I, it was instilled in me certain traits to uh, to work hard, climb the ladder, make more than the average person, and then when you're 65 and retired, you'd have more money than the average person, and that would mean you'd be above average happiness. And as the journey kind of evolved, and in my early 20s, I started to realize that that might be different. Um, that might not be maybe where I wanted to go, but at the same time, uh, I was creating a business, doing what I knew best, which is just hard work. And it wasn't until actually about eight years ago that, uh, you know, my wife and I had, you know, had some fertility issues and, you know, I was, you know, work first, family second. And so, uh -huh. you know, that whole mindset of, you know, well, if I don't have money and if the business isn't growing, then the family's not going to be taken care of. So obviously it's family, it's business first. And, I'll save the time and make it a little bit shorter story of just that, you know, I had to make a change. And uh, I have, you know, I've been in the wealth management business for 18 years. I've got a great client base who, uh, and most of them are older than me. They've acquired wealth through various ways. And I've been able to work with them and view, you know, who do I want to work with and, and who do I not? I have a you know, large block of lawyer clients. So, you know, you have high income earners and uh, some running their life you know, what I would think, well, others not. And so, you know, just digesting all that, kind of putting it into my own sphere has kind of given me uh, some some true norths of, you know, when I look at around me, I think of my five richest friends, uh, rich in money, uh, those aren't my five wealthiest friends. And so I ask you, listener, when you look at, you know, your circle of friends and you think, oh, well, those five people are rich. When I say to you, who are the five wealthiest people around you? Is that the same list of people? And then if it's not that five people uh, you know, that you think are wealthy, what are the attributes that made you put them on the list? And are you living those values? And start there and in sort of your journey of what intentional direction are you trying to live in life? That's all, that's all very good. And, you know, I... I myself am late Gen X, so you can date me accordingly. After I finished my MBA in 2003, I was doing the find my MBA level job, but it actually ended up putting me on an entrepreneurial journey instead. But during the part of it while I was still job hunting, I had a friend say something to me that just totally blew my mind based on everything I had been told growing up in the 80s and the 90s. He said, he said, oh, you got your MBA? Well, and he knew that I, during the entire time I went for my MBA, I had a full-time job uh, doing work that was actually somewhat relevant to what I was pursuing my graduate studies for, all well and good. And he said, well, you, you've been there, what, two years? We were leaving anyway. <laughs> like, what? Wait, what are you talking about? I said, well, you've, you started your MBA in 2000. You started that company, what, 2000? I said, yeah, basically. Well, you've been there three years. Uh, you can't stay there anymore. Because people are going to look at that and they're going to say, what the hell is this guy just doing sitting there? Isn't he ambitious? Isn't he <laughs> building his career? Is it that nobody wants to hire him? Is he no good? And that just blew my mind. Yeah. I had been raised with the idea, as many 
folks have, particularly of a certain age, that you find a company, you work your way up the ladder, you stay loyal and all that. Well, the gold watch is no longer even available. They don't even give you a gold watch anymore. Sometimes they don't even give you notice when they terminate you after uh, two years and 11 months just to avoid it, just to avoid having to pay you out on investing step. And what we find today is that if you're in a career path, if you're working for other companies, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I say that's very good because if nobody was interested in drawing a paycheck working to help somebody else build their dream, then we would all be then we would all be uh, solopreneurs. And what fun would that be? Totally. So, uh, so I think that some of those folks are actually some of the most valuable. They're the ones that are the engine that drives what entrepreneurs do. I put them actually on a pedestal. I don't put them down saying, well, what are you doing working for the man? You should be going out and starting your own thing. I What I say is, what matters most to you? What creates your sense that you are wealthy? And for some folks, it's the idea of getting a nice, decent paycheck and knowing that they work from 9 to 5, and at 5.01 p.m., they slam that laptop shut, and they are done. They're off to be uh, one of the world's greatest dads to their kids. Uh, they're putting family first. Maybe they like to go hiking. So they're thinking they're, they're working so they can afford their hiking adventures. And to me, your life is your life. It's however you build it. That's one yeah. of the reasons I'm so excited to speak with you today. And <laughs> as I said, it'll be a little wide-ranging. And for our listeners, it may seem a little chaotic and a little random, but You've just given me so many things that I want to explore that I want to make sure I get them in. I'm not sure what order they're going to fit. But I want to start with the obvious for me. And this is something that I have about 75% achieved for myself. So I want to know how you did it. You said you never work Fridays. Yep. That's, I uh... like it. I like it. So tell me about it. <laughs> well, that's about uh, four years now. Um, and it's, I've had a recent evolution with the Fridays, but I'll, I'll explain to you how it started was um, I, I had a friend who was an accountant and a friend who was a lawyer and they would go mountain biking on Friday mornings. And so, uh, eight to 10, they would go biking, you know, they invited me a couple of times and I said, no, no, like I got to work because my old programming was, you know, I got to be first into the office for the staff. And if I'm uh-huh. not, then that shows, you know, sign of weakness and, why would anyone do anything that I want um, for a weak boss? So that was kind of my mentality. And then I started to think, okay, well, maybe one once a month, I'll I'll go for a ride with them. And and I justified it by one's an accountant, one's a lawyer. Well, I'm a financial planner, so that's good for networking because that's another decision thing that I always had in my tree when business was first and family was second. You know, um, any sort of family event was second to a networking event. <laughs> in the week. And so, you know, I had to go, I always had places to go and, you know, you always got to go to events and maybe you meet a client. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm justifying it that I'm going biking. And so, uh, you know, over a, you know, it wasn't even a year, it was maybe six months. I, I started to get into a routine of weekly. Uh, you know, I just started saying, I'm just going to work harder on Thursday and I'm going to go biking and I'm going to enjoy it. And then I'm going to race down to the office straight from biking. I'll shower at my office because we had built an office and had a shower. And so we, we, that's what I would do. And then after about six months, uh, Andrew's the, the one, the accountant, he said, hey, uh, his house was near the, where the, the biking zone was. He said, Why you know, do you want to come over for coffee? And uh, it was summertime and he's got a nice pool that overlooks the city. And, and I was like, I, I knew, I envisioned us having coffee there. And I was like, oh, that sounds really intriguing. And so I, I said, okay, yeah. 
And so, you know, I had coffee, a little bit nervous, but still, you know, enjoying the experience. And so I didn't get to the office that day until about 1130. Normally I'd get there at about 1015. Right. So it slowly started to be that. And then it was biking, go for coffee at Andrews, and then run a couple errands, get into the office at one. And the, the punchline of this whole thing, and then eventually it was like, I'm just not going. We, we moved our house, you know, an hour and a half uh, north of where my office is. And, and it was more of an experiment of when COVID was happening. I thought, what well, all my meetings are on Zoom. My biggest fear of not moving to this particular location, you know, years earlier was I'll lose all my clients. And so moving it, you know, and then Fridays off continued there where uh, you know, I had one kid in preschool and he didn't go to preschool on Fridays. So we would go for coffee after my bike ride. And that, you know, really, you know, when you walk into the coffee shop and it's all people meeting, you know, meetings or friends or whatever, and here's me with my four-year-old and we would have the best visits. Uh, and again, you know, I would talk to him like I'm talking to a friend and, you know, that I share that because those are some of my best memories of, uh, these Fridays off, but the punchline of the whole thing was, and I coach this when I'm coaching business owners is there is never going to be an email that comes in and says, you are approved for Fridays off. It literally starts with you just saying, I'm taking Fridays off. And that now becomes your work week. And again, yeah. I, you know, don't, I'm not going to lie and say, I don't work a lot. And I don't, I get up at four 50 in the morning. I work a couple hours in the morning. You know, I, I put in an honest week still, and I'm on my, I can deal with emails when I'm traveling. And so you're still loose, but that dedicated time. And here's, here's an analogy in a week, there's 168 hours. If you think of a balanced life, which is the most overused cliche word, but a balanced life would be 56 hours for sleep, 56 hours for work, 56 hours for you. And the you bucket includes taking care of your, your wife or your spouse, taking care of your kids, taking care of yourself. You know, I were big advocates of my wife and I not giving up on solo hobbies. You know, we got to have activities yeah. with you ourselves, but if you give up all your solo hobbies, you're a very uninteresting freaking person when you're 55, 60. And oh, you've and you're, and you're a miserable person when you're 35. I, <laughs> yes. I, I've actually, I've yes. actually had friendships disintegrate over, over, and I'm, I'm just going to say it how it comes out and uh, people can interpret it according to their own truth um overbearing wives who yeah. uh will attempt to be part of every single thing their husband does and insist that their husband revolve around everything that they do unfortunately i've lost friendships over this um yeah. i was always i guess that guy that was the buddy you hung out with when the girlfriend wasn't around and yeah. uh and Unfortunately, uh, I ran into I had some friends and their girlfriends and wives just that made them feel uh, whatever it made them feel that caused them to interfere. Now, that also works the other way. Uh, there are way too many cases of men who cut off women from their families, their friends, their activities, and expect her to simply serve him. And in mm -hmm. other types of dynamics, uh, you know, your homosexual, pansexual, what have you, you also have many cases where the you have one partner that wants the other partner or partner's world to revolve around them to the exclusion of their own identity and the thing they do. Mm -hmm. However, I found that the healthiest relationships, regardless of uh, sexual preference or orientation or what have you, so uh, just to be clear, is when, 
yeah, you uh, you see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do a lot of things together, but they also have their own thing. Uh, I'm a regular at a cigar lounge, and most of the guys there are married, and most of them are very happily married. Mm-hmm. And part of it is the fact that the guy gets out for a cigar every night. So that's, he that's... stops. Yeah, so he stops by for you know has a stick with the fellas and then goes home to the wife. Yeah, and it, it's, it works. I think it's. I think it, it's uh, where you mentioned it, where it gets in trouble. Is if you know, you know, I used to travel a fair bit, and so you know, if you travel for personal or for for work or whatever, and then you know, when it's time that you know your partner says, uh, you know, I'm going to go for a trip to Vegas for a weekend, and you say, well, no, how am I supposed to take care of the kids or the the plant or the house or whatever? That's that doesn't work. It needs to go both ways, and you know, I would share that openly with my own wife had this discovery of like when we had kids, you know the kids needed her for the bulk of those first few years tremendously. And our kids are only 22 months apart. So there's a lot of, you know, she finally has got, you know, kind of un, you know, she, she kind of had this mindset where it's like, I can't go on a trip. And so, because of so many years of like, she's needed. And all of a sudden she starts unpacking that and goes like, well, why can't I, I'm, you know, I'm here saying, Hey, I'll watch the, the boys. Like I, I love my sons and we can do whatever. I'm not one of these people that, you know, thinks a woman should do all the, stuff around the house at all so yeah you know, go like go out there and so she finally has found that and it's been actually better for the balance in our relationship because you know snowmobiling is my big thing so we go away for three days a couple times a year she's not up my back saying oh my god you're t- you're leaving the family again it's like no she just went somewhere with a girlfriend and it goes vice versa plus we're laying out our our times in the year when it's like when are we going away you know, our yeah. anniversary. It's just like, okay, is that balanced? Like the buckets of, of hours in a week, look at it the year. It's like, do we feel like it's balanced? And I'm not saying that we're perfect because uh, we're not, um, you know, or I'm perfect by all means. I'm not, I can always be working and, and having an open communication to say, Hey, like, you know, another trip. It's like, that isn't a threat or that's not a resentful comment. It's just, <laughs> let's just, you know, talk about it. So right now, like I just did in, over the holidays, a, a massive calendar of every month has every day of the year on it. And I just blocked out, uh, you know, there's like two conferences. One's a podcast conference. One's a work conference that are a week long in the year. They're spread out nicely with months in between a couple of guy trips. Uh, and then uh, a number of camping trips, with the family, Jody's got some trips. And so we look, you know, now it's very visible with the markers and the colors. It's like, are we balanced here? And you know, what do we need to add or what is like, you know, Hey, you're trying to do a, a another podcast conference, maybe, Maybe next year you go to that one. And so, yeah, okay, I, I can see it. And so I'm a visual person. Optics is is huge. Uh, and so, you know, it, but it takes, you know, that took a few hours to to map that out and and get everything on there. Hockey practices for my kids. Yeah. Again, then you're, you're seeing what you're doing for family, what you're doing for self, what you're doing as a couple. Yeah, a couple other points that come up, and that's very good. And I know that in your teachings, you refer to what you call the most stressful three-way, you, your spouse, and money. We're going to come to that. In a, we're going to come to that in just a second. Uh, okay. first, first thing is you made a mention about you wanted to not work on Fridays, essentially. So mm-hmm. rather than announce it, make a production out of it, what I heard is you basically just started doing it. Yep. And uh, I was already involved in this stuff when Tim came out with the four hour work week, which, <laughs> which in the main is a good book. And it's got a lot of great ideas in it. 
However, what didn't last, and I tried it, and it just didn't work out well for me, is that thing where when you're moving from being the solopreneur and the sole point of contact to having a team, is you put up the autoresponder that says, I check emails at 12 and 4 p.m. <laughs> Batching. And then, uh, and, then yeah. imme- and then immediately I found out who my needy, greedy clients were. Because they would say, <laughs> how dare you? What if I need you at 11? You're here for me. Like, and that led me to think, all right, what business am I in and what am I projecting here? If it's getting that yeah. kind of reaction, uh, this is not in alignment. I'm not here to to sit around and wait to answer the phone. My And it made me think more, what type of work do I really want to do and what is my work style? So mm-hmm. where I'm at today, where I'm at today is uh, my peak productivity hours are usually somewhere between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Uh, that's where oh. I do most of my focused work. I'm not an early bird by any means. Uh, I, I don't care. I don't take any calls of any kind, no matter what, before 10 o'clock in the morning. And even so, I only do it. I only take them two days a week. Yeah. Uh, these are some things that I have drawn. Because what I also discovered is in studying my own energy flows, that it takes one type of energy to get deeply immersed in a project. It takes another type of energy to do in the business work and also on the business work in the sense of the marketing and doing the networking, client attraction, celebrity works for branding stuff. That's a different energy. Uh, another energy is doing podcast interviews. This is different from all of them. So I put them in blocks as much as possible. So the day uh, we're having this conversation, I have five of these lined up. You know, what's really Are great th- about that is tomorrow I have zero. Yeah, so you're 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 in flow in yeah. In your I've podcast. got I've, I've I've got three big podcasts that are getting ready to launch here right now through the podcast reach system, which is my business, and uh, I know that I got a lot of stuff to do. I'm committed to some really tight deadlines here. Uh, I've got my people doing some stuff. I'm going to have to work with them on the back and forth with that. There's a piece of it that I do myself, the creative, some of the creative elements of it, and uh, I know that's going to be a couple long days but you know the good thing is is i know the next two days are clear yeah. so today yeah i know i i got an elephant on my plate i'm not <laughs> thinking about that elephant i'm thinking about doing five podcast interviews and a networking and a networking thing love it because love i assign the energies and how did i get to this point i just started freaking doing it ha, ha, is there a website or is there a some you know some sort of resource that was instrumental in you in understanding energy flow I just didn't want to hear anybody's shit, really. That's what it that's what it that's what it came down to. I was branded unemployable in the corporate world because I did not want to deal with any of this stuff. So when I saw that I had essentially created a business that was that same thing, I noped out. It's like we gotta make some changes here. Now, yeah. uh, with that being said, you know, we've covered uh you bifurcated this whole thing between um, literal balance and functional balance is what I like to call it. So literal like balance that, yeah. is 56 hours, 56 hours, 56 hours. And then we got into functional balance, which got into a good bit of give and take. And both of us gave examples of how people in life partnerships or life dynamics learn and sometimes adjust as they go along how to make sure that they grow together in their dynamic at the same time, maintain their individual identities and how those two things nurture the other. So we covered you and the spouse and that's great. Now let's get into money. Let's make this a real menage. <laughs> so why, why is this so stressful? Why is money so stressful with, a, with your spouse? 
Did yeah, well, yeah, this most stressful three-way. You, your spouse, and your money. What's up with that? Well, I, I, I've been cued in on it. And I'm going to give a, a plug to an author who, again, I get nothing from uh, plugging it. But Neil Pasricha wrote a book called The Happiness Equation. He uh-huh. wrote other books. But in The Happiness Equation, he calls uh, something called spousal influence awareness. And he doesn't refer to it in, in, in money, but we acronymed that SIA, S-I-A. So okay. the, the analogy is this. If you think of like how happy you are, so we're going to make a chart. And then the real ch- simple chart is down, you know, the up and down axis is your happiness. 10% of the time, 20% of the time. So how happy are you? And you say, ah, listener, you're saying to yourself, oh, I'm happy about 80% of the time. And then you chart your partner's happiness across the, the y-axis or across the top. And you could say you know, 10%, 20%, and, you know, 100% is on the far right. And so I know that you, you know, maybe you have a chart, maybe you don't, but you're getting the, the picture that, you know, you your partner, you're both happy about 80% of the time. And again, yeah. if you're less then these numbers are going to be skewed, but 80% of the time you guys are both happy. That means that 64% of the time you're both in a happy, call it flow state. So that leaves 32% where you guys are kind of in no man's land and 4% of the time where you're both, you know, grouchy. So when do you think is the best time to talk about money or debate money decisions? And most people will say, oh, my God, like, you know, 64% of the time we're both, that means there's this gap. And so we say, well, my spouse and I, every time we bring up something, either they're too conservative, you know, they don't understand, or a common that I see in, in practice is, um, you know, we have a visionary in a partnership who's like the, the go, go, go. They're not really a nuts and bolts thinker. They're just sort of, I want, you know, I'll use analogy of real estate. I want to buy this apartment building. So that person quietly sits and thinks about it, looks at apartment building listings online, you know, does some research, you know, and then after maybe a month brings it up with their spouse. And again, I'm, I'm shadowing some experience that I've had in my own world. Yeah. And so, you know, they bring up this idea and they say, Hey, honey or partner, I I think we should buy this. And, you know, you catch that person on either a bad day or even a good day. And they, they go, no, we can never afford that. And onto their, you know, they're back doing whatever they're doing. And, you know, there starts to be a form of resentment where it's, you know, okay. And, you know, you do that five times and they poo poo your ideas every time it starts to become a bit of a problem. And that could, you know, you could fill in the blank. You could fill in spending, you know, for, for some people, they don't understand spending. Maybe they've never talked about it. Maybe they're brought up different. Maybe two people are brought into a family with different upbringings around money. Maybe one was wealthy, one wasn't. So you have like different spending. Number one, you know, thing for divorce is usually, uh, you know, behavior around money. One of the tools that my wife and I do once a year, it's in September. Don't ask me why it's September, but you know, we visit our the last three months of visa statements, go through them, look at the list. Okay. And it's, uh, you know, one of the things we often say in our family is like, you know, what is this? A, we need a safe space. We need a place where we can talk openly about something. And we promise that we're not going to get mad. And, you know, specific to finance, you know, our, financial talking safe space is usually driving in the car on a trip. You know, if we're driving for four hours in the car, there's nowhere to go. So if you get pissed off about something, it's going to be an awkward time. So you have that time to kind of bash it out and then, Uh okay, I see where you're coming from and you can kind of address it. So having spouses, you know, involved doesn't necessarily mean they have to be as interested as you, but you know, my, in my wealth business, I often say that, you know, the top, you know, 10 clients, the six of them are married to their original spouse. And they often, well, you know, 99% of the time they come to the meetings together. 
there's no one person is the leader. And I think there's there's some stat there that's important because both people feel like they're they're part of it. 2020 was a hard year. You know, the market went down, say, 35, 40% with COVID. Uh, you know, and I saw a number of, of new clients coming in where their spouse wasn't part of the financial decisions in 2018, 2019. They just told their spouse, go, de- you know, go deal with their finances. Maybe the spouse said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about investing in this. They go, yeah, yeah, I trust you, I trust you. And then all of a sudden, when they start logging in and seeing their accounts down 35, 40%, they start saying, what the hell do you do here? It's like, oh, <laughs> so, you know, that's a lot of friction, you know, and so if you can mitigate the friction, you know, nothing worse, listener, I don't know if you ever gone to work after a fight with your partner and it's distracted you for the day, it distracted your workout, it distracted your work that you did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Driving home, you're just got that knot in your stomach going, oh, God, like when I walk in, I just hope they smile and say, how was your day? Because <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. And so if we can mitigate, you know, some of those financial you know, decision-making and give confidence to both parties, that confidence leads to other areas of life. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned the thing about different upbringings and that tends to come up a lot. Uh, it's very, very rare that uh, two halves of a couple will have been raised the same way. And sometimes they will have experienced micro-programming that may cause one of them to have either a fear of wealth, an understanding of a misunderstanding of wealth, or an imbued hatred of it that was planted by those who didn't have it. Let me give you an example from when I was in grade school. I think I, we were in the fifth grade, and we were given an assignment. Uh, it was an essay assignment in class. You had to, you know, write it in one piece of paper, and you had to do it in cursive so that uh, so they could grade you on how sloppy your handwriting was, in addition <laughs> to everything else. And the question was, if you won a million dollars in the lottery, what would you do with it? Ah. Is that a question to me or are you saying? No, uh, uh, that was a question. Yeah. Now, when folks turned in their answers, we found out that the only acceptable answer and everything else was wrong, but the only acceptable answer was you're supposed to have made a list of who you gave, who you gave it away to. And by the time you were done, you better have given away that entire million dollars. Otherwise you were greedy. (laughs) So, so, so number one, there was this, this, was this a number, socialist government. Uh, so, so number one, I don't know. So number one, there is this programming that, well, if you have money, you shouldn't have it. So you're already being told you're not supposed to be wealthy. Now right. let's look at how the question was framed. If you won a million dollars. So what is that saying to a person in fifth grade? Is that saying, oh, well, the only way you're going to ever, ever have a million dollars is if you get lucky on a lottery ticket. Uh, there's no discussion about, well, what if you do really well in your career? What if you start a really successful business? What if you have athletic ability and you get signed to a contract with a major league team? What if you make it in Hollywood? What if you're, what if you're just really, really, really good at, uh, at, at creating sunlight businesses to conceal your drug running operation? There are so (laughs) many different ways you can have a million dollars. They're saying, oh, no, 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 no. The only option to you is if you get blind lucky. And once you get blind lucky, you got to give it all away because you're not supposed to have it. Yeah. Think all, think think also that joke about what's the difference between a BMW and a porcupine? What's that? Well, on the porcupine, the perks are on the outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we laugh at that. We laugh at this, but 
This is all subtle programming and reinforcement that wealth is not a good thing. The idea that you're well compensated, the idea that you build financial security, that you're supposed to struggle, you're supposed to work hard, put your nose to the grindstone, and let the people who are lucky enough to be wealthy and successful, let them take care of the big stuff. You just you just go in there and do your job and grind away and take that paycheck and say thank you. You know what, Adam? I, I think of a roadblock that I had, which was, you know, somewhere that programming became, you couldn't be wealthy and be a great parent and a balance, you know, balance. It was either you were significantly wealthy and you were not very good in the family. So you couldn't have both. So it was an either or, but it's not, it's an and it takes intention. It takes thinking about it. Um, You know, and yeah, I think of, some successful people who are working seven, eight days a week, because this ties into the Fridays off. Uh If a person says is successful in their business and say they're saving 200,000 a year in their business. And so you might say, well, hey, you're working seven days a week. What if you saved 150,000 a year or 175,000 and you took the 25 or 50 that less, you know, you didn't save that and you allocated that and you gave each one of your managers a $10,000 a year raise. And you told them this raise is for me to take Fridays off. I'm going to give you more responsibility, but I'm going to pay you more money. And the reason that I need Fridays off is so this company exists down the road. So I can continue to be innovative and creative. I need space because if not, this whole ship is going down and you're not going to have your income. And that's where we talk to people. It's like, you don't always have to think of investing as in the market or in real estate or paying down debt investing could be back in your business to give you the freedom and the flexibility to maybe quantify taking a day off it doesn't have to be fridays or at least not working weekends right that's a, it'd be a huge what's what's wrong with working weekends uh what i mean why why why, why can't you work weekends and take weekdays off maybe your thing is going to amusement parks you don't want to stand in line Great, great analogy. And my book editor tells me, she's like, your Friday's off analogy is flawed. <laughs> she's like, why can't it be take a, you know, a day off? And I, I agree with her that, you know, again, weekends, it's just, hey, there's that programming again. It's just the weekends are better to have off. Yeah. Not necessarily. I, I get, I get, I get the razzed about this sometimes to this day. People, uh, I'll go to one of my hangouts and I'll have my laptop off out and I'll be doing work on a Saturday evening. And he said, well, what, what are you doing working? What kind of business do you have? Do you have to work all, all the time? And, and, uh, and, and what's that say to your clients that you're working on Saturday night? And, and there's just two things. Number one, my clients don't know when I work. All my all my clients know is that we agree to deliverables, and I show up with them. It, it yeah. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when or how. In fact, I leave that out of the conversation. Going back to what you and I discussed about the energy thing, if I know something's due in a week, I know sometime in the next week I'm going to do it. Yeah, I don't know when it's going to be because I don't know when that energy is going to hit that's going to best push that thing forward. That's that's part of it. The other thing is, oh gee. It's 7.30 Saturday night, and I'm still doing this project. I'll cry about it on Tuesday when I sleep till noon because I feel like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's – well, you you seem to be more in tune with it. I'm definitely not uh, – I'm more of a habitual get up at 5, get up at 4.50 every time and and just follow a bit of a routine. But Oh, I, I – 
yeah, I, I was always told the early bird gets the worm, and uh, and uh, and if you and if you don't, and if you're not out of bed by seven a.m., must mean you're in some sort of rut. Uh, and then I had I had the classic answer to that, which is explain Winston Churchill. Okay, I mean uh, he he rarely got out of bed before noon, sometimes even one o'clock. And then he would have, uh, and then he would have a three course breakfast with two cigars and two glasses of whiskey. Then he'd uh, work on one of his books and work on one of his paintings. And somewhere around four or 5 PM, he'd, uh, he'd uh, drive, uh, he'd uh, go downstairs at 10 Downing street and he'd save the free world. <laughs> and he would uh, he'd, he'd, he'd do that to about midnight or so, which case he'd repair to the library with an 18 inch cigar. And, uh, and read a book until he was tired of reading. Usually he called it when he looked up and noticed that there was sunlight coming through the window. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, everyone has so, a different so mentor was, was, was this, was, this right? was, was this guy in a rut? Was this guy failing? I mean, I mean, all he did was save the free world. I mean, it's big deal. Yeah. But a bit imagine if it had been, if it had woken up at the crack of dawn. Yeah, I think kids change that though. In this day and age, if you got double double parents contributing to things, it's uh, my early mornings usually start with a gym at five thirty, and so the kids aren't up till seven. So that bucket that I talked about of you right. know, the U bucket, I needed to get that workout in, or I was going to you know go mental. So right, and that and that, and that all depends on how the kids are educated. Uh, I mean, if you. Uh, send your kids to a school, whether it's a public school, a charter school, a private school, or if you homeschool them or what have you, I mean, th those are all different variables that can impact where your you time comes in. That's and right. to me, my definition of wealth is when you can make these decisions and make your decisions about these issues, mm -hmm. not somebody else's decision, your decision. Right. So Here's another thing, and time is really flying here. We're already two-thirds of the way through. <laughs> so here's another thing. Um, you know, we've covered a lot about mindset. We've covered how to manage things at home, how to manage things at work, how to utilize energies, how to assess your truth and make that apply to paint your picture of wealth. So what I want to get into a bit is the financial side of it, because we did say we were going to cover this. So tell us a bit about, in your philosophy, how one would get financially organized and manage their personal professional risk and see your easy wealth opportunities and do this in seven minutes. Hey, four-day work week, <laughs> seven-minute wealth. Go for it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll break it down in, in a couple analogies. So the first foremost, people you know know the word budget. No one know for sure person loves it. So uh, we use something called a, the BAM or someone's B-A-M. So that's their bare ass minimum. Those are the expenses that exist. If, you know, if, if you need to live, never mind the travel and the Louis Vuitton, you know, and all that stuff. It's just yeah. the mortgage payment, the rent payment, the utilities, you know, groceries. Precisely. So that's, you know, that's what, that's the real basic thing. But, uh, you know, I would say more than 50, 60% of people don't know where I've sat down and either analyzed the last, you know, three months of spending or at least written their fixed bills. Cause that really is a starting point. Cause then, you know, okay, well I make this much, this is how much goes out for bare ass minimum. You should have, there should be some left over. Now right. if there isn't, or it's not clear, then you need to figure out by going back through your bank statements. You can even do it really quick by just scrolling your online banking. Where's the money going? So BAM is, you know, first and foremost, now you know how much, is going out. So if you just park that thought, 
at the bottom, imagine um, <clears throat> we call it the Life Clarity Summit. So what is that? It's basically a, a diagram of a pyramid. So from the bottom of the pyramid, which is your widest base, that's a financial plan. And what is a financial plan? It isn't a hundred page written thing that the bank gives you. It could just be as simple as your goals. Where do I want to go? Quantify what you have. So again, you did your BAM and write down all your financial yep. things on a piece of paper. Okay. So you got, that's your plan. Now, next layer up is risk management. If you want to go somewhere, what things would get in the way? So having a will, if you got kids, you know, and debt, life insurance is probably a good thing. If you're the sole income earner of the family, uh, you know, if you got disabled and couldn't work, then what's the play? Are you going to sell all your house, you sell your house and spend all your investment accounts or is disability insurance, you know, part of the equation. So you're protecting what you've got in there. You know, also risk management is paying attention to uh, your spending and hopefully you're able to spend a little bit on things that make you happy. Yeah. Also solid relationships often overlooked in a financial plan. When we meet clients and talk to them, we'll ask them about, you know, who are the five closest people around you and what are they up to? You know, social influence is a major contributor to another piece I'll talk about in a minute, which is mental health. Your views and perceptions of things get skewed if you have in, you know, significant influences around you. So I won't unpack that, but that is a risk management. So we need to be aware of that. And the next layer up after you got your risk managed and your plan is the accumulation zone. This is where you start investing, buying real estate, hopefully paying down debt, and you start building things. And another thing that's in there in that accumulation is the accumulation of your mindset or your mental health. I, you know, have seen and witnessed, you know, number of, you know, over 60 year olds who've come to me, they come to me, they say, you know, we got 4 million of investments and we do the plan and, you know, they're going to, they're going to pass away when they're 90 with tons of money in the bank, real estate, but their mind is completely gone for shit. Their mental health, their self-talk, you know, they got terrible relationships with their family because, you know, they're maybe a negative person or they, you know, have skewed views on things and are become very pessimistic. So again, that's, those are things that we are talking about in the meeting saying, you know, Hey, how is your mental health? And people say, Oh my God, like if Trump gets elected, you know, that's a real story that I had a client stay up all night to watch the election when Trump didn't get elected. And I, I said, why? Like you're in Canada. How, how is that going to, and she goes, I was, I was about to say, I mean, uh, in the United, in the United States, I was, if you're talking about the election of 2020, I was an election results party. Uh, A bunch of us got together and threw a party around it. uh, And uh, there were people, and there were some folks on both sides, uh, you know, Trump supporters, Biden supporters. And it was just, it was just a really good time. The, the one thing that everybody agreed on was my Thai pineapple fried rice recipe. That got (laughs) all the electoral and popular votes yeah 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 well that's again it's uh it's we all have our our things but again that the outcome of that election really had no impact on this person's financial well-being this person's well off uh you know they're good at hobbies and balance and family and so but that for a week leading up and that whole night she didn't sleep you know that was just born out of a you know there was some sphere spherical influence uh around that so she her her consensus was she wanted to put it out to the universe that he didn't get elected. So again, that, you know, sort of thing is, is over your years, you accumulate things that, that sum up your mental health. And so my right. nourishment, part of the reason we created the picture of wealth podcast is to share, you know, great stories. And I can share that with clients to you know help them get through maybe trying times. And the final piece uh-huh. of the pyramid, which is the peak 
is your legacy. It's estate planning. It's selling your business. And so, you know, estate planning and legacy, a lot of times we're not necessarily doing, you know, hardcore planning if someone's, you know, not 80 years old, but legacy, we believe is what you teach your kids, what you teach your kids about money. And so we would be meeting, we would meet the, the children, you know, all ages of our, you know, wealthy clients. And, you know, a lot of these kids think going to Maui is, is, you know, three times a year is normal. And so you have these entrepreneurs who have built up these businesses and created wealth for the family. And they didn't grow up like that. They grew up grinding their knuckles, building the blue collar business. And so they're, they're asking me say, Hey, like, we know that we want to like make them hard workers or we want to try and instill that, but can you help us, you know, have that conversation or be constructive to, to make that. And it, it's a difficult task, uh, yeah. but I am seeing more uh, older, wealthier clients bringing in kids younger than, you know, younger than 20, 16, 17, and bringing them into a meeting saying, hey, you know, we're going to talk about the family wealth. This is a confidential setting, but you need to be aware of some of these things. And hopefully the kids, you know, maybe there's a rental house that's part of the portfolio that they take over managing, or maybe they live in one half of the duplex and, and they have to keep the other side rented. You know, there's different ways to, to share and teach without necessarily handing them a check. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and again, what I think is really wonderful about our society. I mean, you know, you know, that uh, all this laziness we see is it, it's all because of the millennials are spoiled, rotten bastards. Just <laughs> them, right. Well, here's what, here's what, here's what I know. Um, I'm, le- I'm tail end gen X, which means my experience uh, is basically a millennial experience. Cause I'm right on that cusp. So yeah. what, I recognize for myself, it just happened a year or two later than it did for most millennials than it did for me, uh, or vice versa. And then your younger generations, like, you know, down to your Gen Zs and what have you, is these generations, or we have had access to high-speed internet and at-your-fingertips information that older generations just simply didn't, Mm -hmm. which means we had resources and support networks available to give us information to effectively, and by effectively, I mean with effect, challenge and question those patterns, those status quos, those, well, that's the way it's always been, and it's always worked that way. You know, okay, you've managed to get this far despite the fact of what you were doing, but all right, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. And yeah. my experience with millennials, uh, Gen Zs, what have you, these are not lazy people. They're actually extremely passionate and driven. They just don't fit into the box that others try and put them into because, well, that's how my parents did it. Well, they don't, they don't see it that way. And they, they want the stuff that they do, whether it's the business they create, the job that they have, they want it to be something where they know they're making a difference. They're not just performing rote tasks. I mean, if you put somebody in a job and you can't, you cannot articulate to them or, and there's no way that they can see that what they're doing is actually contributing to some goal, some effort, some mission, they're just not going to stay long. Mm-hmm. And why should they? Why yeah. should they? Even if you believe in reincarnation, you only get to do this one once. This is also why we're seeing so many changes in family environments. Uh, you may, I'm sure you go on social media because I know you have a whole bunch of social media profiles that our followers uh, should be following you on. I just put that out there. Uh, at um, and every so often you'll see somebody say, well, 
I tell you, these 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 kids today, I see what they say to their parents. And I tell you, if I'd have, if I'd have ever thought about saying that to my mama, should have made me go get the belt that she used to whoop my ass with. And look at me, I turned out fine. Like, yeah, you turned out great. You're still talking about it. And you and you and you viewed as a failure that other people don't beat their kids or yeah. that the kids don't or the kids say, no, 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 you're not going to beat me. You're not going to spank me. Well, I think you bring or, up a good or, point. Or, or, or they have this thing that uh, parents and children, even young children, rather than it just be command and control, they're actually dialoguing and parents are teaching children how to make cases for what it is that they want as far as their goals and to collaborate in achieving something that's of mutual benefit, which is kind of how the world works. Hey, I know somebody, they... Uh, they got uh, they got a report card uh, their first semester or their first quarter of high school, what have you. And this is somebody who is uh, considered smart, and they got a 3.3 on the 4.0 scale. And uh, their parents thought that the world had just ended and uh, that uh, they weren't going to get into college. And they thought that the way to motivate their kid was, your report card is going to hang on a refrigerator so you can see every day that you failed. Yeah. Okay. Uh so you know you know what that you know what that kid did? Uh whenever the parents wanted to hang out, uh the you know, the, the you know, the, the you know, let's go to a movie, let's go to the park and say, sorry, I wouldn't want to disappoint you. I have to study. Yeah. So then oh, the parents yeah. so, so then so then so now that that person say, Oh boy, if I'd ever said that to my parents, I wouldn't have any teeth left. Well, this is but when I see that, that's a feedback loop. Hey, yeah. hey, you, hey, you said hey, you said I'm lazy. You said I'm a failure. I'm not going to be lazy or a failure. I don't have time for you to hang out with you. So you made the bed lay in it. That's that's a feedback loop. That's how the world works. Well, mm-hmm. then the parents tried another feedback loop and check this out. They put in they uh, they offered a compensation system, which means the, they would give their kids money for grades. The better grades you got, the more money you got. I mean, you got so much for an A, so much for a B, so much for a C, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, then, now you're going to have the folks say, well, how dare you spoil those rotten kids? Uh, you know, no wonder these millennials are so fucking lazy. You paid them for grades. Now, to me, that was the parents getting it. They said, yeah. oh, oh, I see. So there's, so there's a reward process here, and they're – and by refusing to go to the movies with us, they're saying, you, you hurt me, you degraded me, so I'm, I'm going to take away your chance to be a parent with me. All right. So yeah. how about if I respond to this by, all right, let's make it a matter, let's make it a matter of basic achievements. Uh, we don't have to have these arguments, what have you. The better grades you get, the more money you get. Now, to me... That was the parents recognizing, okay, so now we're going to show the kids how the world works. And how does the world work? The better you do, all things being equal, the more money you make. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't argue with the fact that yeah. if, if you do have more money, it uh, there's, and again, happiness is a whole other thing, but and joy and all that. But it's like, there are more options. And I think one of the often understated things about financial planning, options, wealth, you you don't really have a lot of options in today's world unless you're you know Central America where houses are hundred grand. Uh, until you're making a hundred thousand or one hundred twenty thousand, you're you know yeah you could maybe save five grand a year, but in ten years uh-huh. you got fifty grand. You need you know finding income sources or 
finding ways to add more value to X company, to X person, to yourself, to customers, to clients, to whatever, you know, that that's a trait that if you can learn that early on, you know, thinking like you're the owner, if you work, you're an employee of somewhere and you're saying, I deserve a raise, uh, you know, you better be going into asking for that raise, knowing in your head that you've added, you know, two times at least to what you're asking for. Right. So, you know, you boost your income, you know, and whether that's side hustles or sell stuff on Amazon or, you know, there's so many opportunities nowadays that you nailed it with the the efficiency and the, the, the technology that's available that, you know, you're not necessarily lazy. And, you know, for any parents of, you know, children that are 11, 12 years old, and I heard this last week with a client, she said, hey, you know, I went into my son's room. He's got uh, a video game. So he's got a headset on with one earphone in and and a headset so he's playing a video game with his friends when there's a chat going on on the video game screen he's got a youtube video playing and then he has music playing in his stereo and she, she just said you know what what is happening here like do you, and he's like well i'm i'm listening to this song you know from the rolling stones or whatever i'm chatting with so-and-so as we're about to take you know conquer this thing in the video game and this uh-huh. youtube video i thought was really cool because it's teaching me how to you know do paper mache because I've got a project later. And she was like, wow, he actually is taking in all the stuff he's doing. And so, you know, is he a deadbeat? No, to me, that's like, there's a lot of skills there that could be transferred in the future. So right. not underestimating that, that younger generation. Well, it, you know, people who follow me closely on social media know when I'm about to get really busy and go into deep trans level creative mode. <laughs> And you know how they know? They see me posting a lot more all of a sudden. Yeah. See, the the old model, and I, and I call it the old model for a reason, because I think it is something that is based on old models of what focus is, is uh, forbidding your children to listen to music while they're doing their homework, because they need to focus. <laughs> or... No, you can't do you can't do your home you can't play video games until you've done your homework. No, we don't do that here. However, there's science. And science shows that in order to get into the level of concentration and focus that enables you to go deep on a project, to do well with your homework or your studies, it can be very beneficial to you to spend some time goofing off first. Mm-hmm. This, and, and, and the analogy is quite simple. Before you go for a run, what do you do? Stretch. You stretch. So you just like you're about to go on a run with your homework, with your project. You're going to stretch your brain a little. Limber it up. Warm it up. That's Same a thing. Takeaway I think you can do with the, even in finance. Yeah. You know, they say, you know, they say that uh, people who live in messy spaces and swear and uh, swear a lot and stay up late, uh, that's that those tend to be signs of intelligence. And boy, I tell you, the uh, I, I remember being told, you're so smart. Why do you stay up late and use foul language and have a messy room? Uh, you're smarter than this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think there's another analogy of someone who uses the F word once intelligently in their yeah. first conversation with you as a trustworthy person. Yeah, and then I, yeah, and then, yeah, and then I whipped out, you know, let's talk about Winston Churchill. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, there's, 
there's another whole podcast there we could probably do on parenting 101. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, we'll probably have you back at some point. I think that there's more angles to this conversation. And uh, and so we are unfortunately at the top of our time here. And, you know, we will have to have you back at some point. But in the meantime, what I want to do is I do want to make sure that uh, we extend an invitation. Now, you uh, shared with me in the green room, your website, which is W, well, you can use www, but it's uh, servicewealth.com, S E R V I S S W E A L T H.com, servicewealth.com. And this is where anybody can go to discover more about Dustin's company, Service Wealth Management, and how they work and what they do. So, among the things you're going to find on that website, um, there are some great uh, tools and resources that you can check out in a variety of areas related to financial management and wealth management. I did mention earlier the podcast, The Picture of Wealth. It's a love that name, The Picture of Wealth podcast. And I'll also point out that uh, for a limited time, for those who listen to the Business Creators Radio Show, you can go to that same website and you'll see a link that invites you to book a meeting with Dustin. And what he's doing now is for a limited few people, he's cleared out a few spaces on his calendar. Go there, book 15 minutes if you want to discuss more about painting your picture of wealth and discover more about how service wealth management can help you achieve this, not only from a numbers mindset or a money mindset, but as you can see from our conversation, also a financial mindset, a comprehensive, holistic approach that will lead you toward your ultimate wealth. And with that, Dustin, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thanks, Adam. That was uh, truly engaging. Thanks. And your audience is uh, very lucky to have uh, a host like yourself. Oh, thank you. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.